welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Android Jetpack Compose, one big thing everyone's been talking about over the past couple of months. So I'm joined today by three fantastic guests. And we have Nick, and we have Philip, and we have Jason. But I'll let them themselves introduce themselves. So Nick, feel free to introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, name's Nick. I'm an Android developer. Always have been, not always have been, but have been through my entire professional career. Uh, really just been focusing on Android and been bouncing around a different, uh, couple of different companies, picking up some good rules and conventions and gotten into a lot of architecture and got into data binding early, view model early. Uh, and as soon as Compose came out, uh, I wanted to try it and has been have been doing it quite successfully, I think, and it's really amazing. And so when you ask to do this podcast, like, oh yeah, uh, Compose? Yes, yes, let's do a podcast about Compose. That sounds amazing. Fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, right, Philip, we'll come to you next, my friend. Right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm an Android developer as well. I've uh, been in this for quite a while. Been doing uh, Android development for the last around about ten years or something. Um, right now, I'm also a tech lead in my company. Um, and my story with Compose started maybe two and a half years ago or something when we decided to invest in it uh, pretty heavily. Um, so yeah, when you have the opportunity to do this podcast uh, merge, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Um, yeah, very much. That's it. Fantastic. I think when I reached out to all three of you, you're like, oh, this sounds like a really good topic. Let's, let's do it straight away. I was like, right, okay, let's, let's put it together. But um, that's enough to move on. Jason, we'll come to you next, my friend. Yeah, so I'm Jason. I'm from America, living in Norway. I have... I would. I did not start my career as an Android developer. I was an electrical engineer, control systems designer. Thought I hated programming in school, and then later, once I started teaching myself Android, I learned I just hate C plus plus. So programming is fun. I've been an Android developer for seven years now, and I've been doing Compose for a little over two years. I haven't written any XML in over two years, so I kind of don't even remember what Android development was like before Compose anymore. And I've like I've, I've recently joined the dark side and now I'm an engineering manager. So we'll we'll see where my future goes. I hope I don't forget to compose and forget how to actually do real work. Yeah, so it's always good to stay close to the engineer really, isn't it? The actual development. Have to keep the name in the title. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, chaps, um, we're all here to talk about Jetpack Compose. If anyone listening hasn't figured that out yet, maybe you're on the wrong podcast. 
But um, what we're going to do is something a bit different to our usual podcast format. We're just going to talk about it in general. I'm going through a couple of questions and areas of discussion is more than described. So fair enough, we're going to start with architecture, then go into components, then tooling, downsides, and finish off with, with migration. Does that all sound good to you chaps? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Right, what we're going to do then, we'll start with architecture. Um, so a couple of questions that you chaps brought along was, why is good architecture more important than ever in a Compose app? Oh, cool. Um, I mean, I think it's... Yeah, let's have oh, Philip start with it. He's had, he has the most experience with Compose. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm the one that has more experience with Compose. Uh, but I mean, architecture in general, it's uh, important not only for Compose, it's uh, important for uh, every kind of software that uh, you develop, right? Um, I mean, in our case, for instance, right now we are using um, clean architecture with um, MVVM or MVI, you know, or MVI, depends on the project, um, and it works fairly well. Um, because, I mean, the main part is all um, isolated, and then you can have your presentation layer that does uh, whatever. And Compose, yeah, since we are, uh, since um, we are with that uh, type of architecture, Compose really uh, plays well with it. Um, so more importantly, I wouldn't say, I would say that it's as important, um, especially because architecture also um, provides you with another tooling that is, um, uh, a structure for your entire company. You're also, uh, you are also have a, a way to communicate with all the other developers that work with you. And that's extremely important as well. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much my taking. I wouldn't say that it's more important. I would say that it's as important as it always meant. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree that it's always important. But I've, I've felt like with Compose specifically, it, with the unidirectional data flow, if you don't have your architecture right, you actually end up with performance issues. If you if you have everything, like before we had views completely separate, so you could kind of do whatever you want in one place, and your view model could look like whatever it wanted, and it wasn't so important how you manage the, the state communication between them from a performance point of view, or not as important as it became with Compose. But yeah, and when, when all of your code is Kotlin, you need to have good architecture or no one's going to be able to read anything either. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point you're mentioning there, uh, Jason, just that the view model could look like any other, like however you want it, because I came from a lot of XML and data binding. I actually really love data binding until Compose. Uh, but then you had these things where you didn't have one state that you would provide to the data binding and you didn't have a few uh, collections or like a few models that you sent to the, the XML, you would actually usually provide individual fields and individual uh, live data of strings and numbers and all of those different things. So you would need to create these observable view models or the like view data holders and just create that observable layer in so many different uh, classes and holders. So I think like what you're mentioning that now you, you do have to structure the view model so that it serves this, like just the state, exposing the state so that you can consume it. Uh, that was the, like the one note that I wrote down, uh, like why is a good architecture? 
same thing there. It's always important. But one thing I thought of is like a compose really encourages good architecture because it receives it very well. So it really wants to consume things in the same way a good architecture looks like. Okay, interesting. Interesting to go into a bit more detail. Has everyone got what he wants to talk about out of that? We've got time to go deeper. I mean, if it if it's the architecture topic, I think there's a lot of things to dig into, surely. Yeah, because we've got like file file individual file structure, and then we've got project structure, and then we've got module structure. Like we've got all sorts of other architecture things to touch on about how you do this with Compose versus how we did it before. So I'm I'm really curious about both uh, Philip and Jason because the I started using Compose just a year ago uh, for the project I was working in, and we just decided that, okay, we're 80% done with this application that we started Greenfield-ish, and then we hired two new uh, Android developers, and we decided, okay, let's try Compose, tried it for two weeks, decided, okay, let's convert the entire app. We're, the, the scope is changing anyway, so uh, let's do that. And so I don't have that much experience, and I've been helming the decisions can uh, a lot with how I want to structure things. So I'm really curious to see just how do other people structure their uh, their application and their architecture uh, with Compose and your take on Clean, etc. Uh, yeah, I can go. Like I know there's a there's a, a trend in Android development to have like a lot of modules, like and uh, some bigger apps will have hundreds or thousands of modules and i do think having multiple modules is in, important just in general but not having a ton of them like a button does not need its own gradle file you don't need a, a button to know how to build itself like that's you're you're saving five milliseconds on your build time and that's i, I don't i think that complicates your code too much but when you've like i i would hope that whatever app you're working on, you have separated out like your theming system and how how your your app is going to behave and your sort of base components out away from the rest of your logic and your business logic. So you, you should still have a separation of concerns and compose. And I would argue that it's even greater because now your view is code. So you you yeah, you have the ability to squish it together, and you you shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, uh, my opinion: the views should be completely numb. They should be just uh, something that uh, receives the state and print it out, and then maybe they and then then maybe they produce an event right that is handled by um, their original model or their part of your architecture. Uh, you were talking about uh, modules, and yeah, I mean, modulization helps you a lot, especially in big projects uh, like uh, you were referring to, uh, where you have multiple members of your team. So it also depends a lot on what kind of team are you actually uh, including included in. Because, for instance, if you have a, a team that is not going to scale in the next two years or something, and you are just two Android developers, maybe having... 20 modules, that's adds no value whatsoever. Adds a little bit more complexity, uh, if anything. So there has to be a balance for the project that you are working on. Um, yeah. And um, when it comes to, uh, you touch upon uh, the components as well, and um, how could you extract that uh, into component library uh, or something like that. 
Um, yeah, and that's an interesting thing because it's actually something that we're doing right now in my company. Uh, we reached a point in our company that uh, we decided that what we wanted to have a design system. And the design system is a way to constrain uh, both a design team and a developer's team um, in order for having uh, base components that can be used uh, for constructing your app. In our case, several apps. Um, so we decided just to while it happened, uh, um, create uh, one completely isolated uh, uh, library framework called whatever, um, using uh, Jetpack Compose just for that finality. So far, it's been working great. Yep, uh, I've have I've had the same structure both with just projects I'm working on right now and my last assignment. So we had this uh, only depended on uh, module, uh, there we called it Forge, now I call it Studio, it's fun to name things. Uh, and the only thing that I want to have in there is things that has to do with Compose. So theming, theming resources, components, uh, Compose utils that I've created, uh, things like that. Uh, the only variation that I can see is that you could either, uh, and this is something that we talked about if we're that we will talk about as well, that you can allow your models from the business logic in your uh, components, or you could say, no, no, that's definitely not allowed uh, because Jason is, has touched on the subject twice now, which is everything is Kotlin, so you can nest mismatch. You can really clump things together. And in this current day and age where we really want to separate everything, it's they're still giving us the tools to nest things uh because we should be able to do whatever we want so uh, that's interesting so in the current project and uh i've done it so that i have one single module for the, our my business logic models and then my uh domain layer module depends on that and my uh compose module depends on that so that i can just throw in my uh business logic models into my Compose uh, because they hold a lot of functions to how I want to split uh, functionality and views based on uh, the different kind of uh, models that I'm sending in. So it makes a lot of sense for me there because then I can keep my app layer and my domain layer uh, totally untouched when I'm doing changes to just models and the data layer uh, and then just uh, do things in the view layer, so Compose. Yeah, I. I tend to have kind of, it usually gets a bit more complicated than this, but you can simplify it down to three layers. I have the, the app layer, the domain layer, and the design layer is what I usually call it. So like I'll have a module that has all of my base components that are absolutely as dumb as possible. They know nothing about the app. My, my rule tends to be if it's on Figma, it goes in, like if it's, if it's in the design, it goes in this module. And if it's not in Figma, it doesn't belong there. It belongs in its app by its feature, by its domain. So like the so the design stuff just doesn't know anything about anything. It just takes strings and literals and it's fact. It's a good approach. I mean, um, yeah, I would say that uh, pretty much we are doing the same. Um, but I would say that, uh, yeah, the part that you call app, um, really I call it domain, so. And data, and it's like, and I call it data, as in, um, yeah, everything that has to do with network or 
any of the source. Um, yeah, uh, I would say that yeah, I, I have I allowed uh, objects from uh, the main layer to be in the um, presentation layer. However, they have to be completely untouched by that player. Um, because that's where your business logic is going to live, and that's pretty much the core of your application. Uh, so you don't want to couple one with the other. Um, but I agree that uh, ideally you you have uh, decoupling, a total decoupling in between all the layers of your application. You're pretty much doing uh, mapping back and forth. It's not that complicated, especially in this day and age where you can just type on a collection dot map and whatever. And transform it. Um, I think on on that note, I agree. In general, mapping different data types is not as expensive and tends to be premature optimization if you're trying to avoid it. Like if you've if you start mapping lists with millions of things, maybe you need to think about it. But if you just got a couple hundred, even we're not talking about anything noticeable. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you're talking millions, then Google pagination yeah. should be fine. Yeah, you shouldn't be having millions of things in memory anyway. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that would be something. And that's a good smell. Yeah. I was, I was I'm so curious about Spotify because I've seen them so many times in different uh, conventions and uh, conferences, and they're talking about their hundreds of modules. I so want to see what you fill them with because I don't understand. Uh, I seem to have more modules than you because I have one for data layer, which could be like database, and one for I might have one for network. Domain would just be use cases and the interfaces for the repositories. Uh, but then because of the setup where with uh, I want to have my compose module and I am using my the domain models in that, I have created a separate module for models, uh, which my domain layer and uh, and the Compose has access to. But that's just because I don't want to have dependencies from domain to the Compose, because that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, or Otherwise, I would be able to bundle that. But it did. You're, you're creating a weird cycle of, I want access to this in your module, but I don't, I should not have access to that. But the, the concepts are definitely the same, that few very meaningful modules and like you're saying as well like especially if you are not scaling to be five feature teams over three in three months times time, yeah. then the, the, the last the last app i worked on i think we had about 200 modules but there were also what 15 android developers so it and in a way it made sense and then there were we weren't all even working together all the time because we were out on different feature teams so chances are the code we were writing wouldn't even overlap unless we got into that design module because that one was the same but then that one was broken up into a bunch of different sub modules like that's where i was talking about buttons having their own gradle files i feel like is taking things a little far even when you're a lot of people but yeah uh, I suppose that you can end up with a lot of modules as well if you start to do, because I'm I'm seeing this as horizontal layers where you have your app and then the domain and then the data. If you're getting into more of the vertical layers, so say you have a bottom navigation with five major features, then you create a, a, a module per each, and then you maybe have sub sub modules for the different layers, creating this amazing grid. Uh, so, uh, London company where I walked. Worked, uh, worked, had that uh, in place, but that was still very basic of 
this uh, this feature domain data, uh, and then the app just consumed it. So it was fairly small stuff. You've got to think about that stuff early too, because if you run into a circular dependency once you've got forty modules, you need to have, you need to move one module, and suddenly, like, not even IntelliJ can save you with that refactoring. <laughs> yeah, you deal with that and start over, right? <laughs> just oh well, I thought of everything wrong, so let's just start fresh, new project. Yeah. Uh, so I have some uh, bullet points here. Um, we talked about some file structuring. So uh, either you're using uh, your Compose navigation or you're not, but still, uh, I have a special way of having my uh, just my packages for different screens. So I have one package for screens and then package per feature screen. And then I have these five distinct files per each. So I might as well just, I'm, I'm going to throw them out there and then let's get some feedback and see what you have. So I have one, which is the routes, which is, uh, which in my previous, uh, assignment was the fragment and the opening of the screen for that fragment. Uh, if I'm using compose navigation, it's just that, uh, the holder of view model consuming the, uh, observing the state and then, uh, calling the screen, uh, composable. And then I have one file for the screen composable, which just opens up with one uh, composable function, state, and then callbacks. Um, and then I have one file for models. Uh, so I usually nest it in just one large object. And in there, I define classes for state, event, and the callbacks objects. And then I also have uh, one for previews. So if I want to access previews easily for that screen, I can just go feature.previews.state, uh, and I'll get something. And then I have my, my view model. And if I have some components that are very niche or special, like specialized for just this uh, screen, I will have a components file as well in there. Uh, and the view model uh, uses an abstraction that I have. So I have a state event view model. Uh, so it, it exposes uh, a state uh, a la compose and uh, a more disposable event stream, so you can only consume it, uh, the events once. And then I make sure that the view model ex uh, extends the callbacks interface. So I actually do send my view model into the state, but just under the uh, the interface flag of callbacks, uh, so I can easily uh, propagate those events. So a lot going on there, Jeff. So I'm sitting in the background. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand this completely. Understand this. I don't separate these words. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I hope my grandma gets it. <laughs> but um, this is a, we have spoke a lot about architecture. Are you happy to move forward and go talk about components? And can we stick in architecture a little bit longer? Because yeah, go on, Jason. Not just 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 a little bit. Because I just wanted to like I just wanted to kind of compare because I have a, a similar a similar sort of way that I structure things. Because you do have like every. Every screen you have does have all these different parts. For me personally, I keep my navigation, like I'll have a nav graph for a feature, like all the screens that matter are in one nav graph. And then I have a, a sealed class of routes, routes or routes, the root route. And then from, from there, so I, I keep all of my navigation in kind of one file. And then I keep my, my screens, get each screen has a view model. And then inside of the view model, you've got your your view state class, your view state data class. 
which I exposed usually with a composed state. And then I also have the separation of states versus events like you and I'm using a channel. So I've made a, a generic class that takes a, a channel that you can subscribe to in the composable to receive events from the view model. So I usually have like these three files where I have a view model, the screen, and then the, the navigation. And then in the screen, I'll have the screen and I'll do all of the event collection view model stuff at the top of the screen. And then I'll break it out and I usually have a composable called screen content. And then that's what I will preview. So I preview the content and then the screen content is stateless. So it just gets the parameters it needs and lambdas for any callbacks. And then it calls back up to the top, which calls the view model. So like I try to keep most of my UI as stateless as possible. Yeah, I pretty much have a very similar to that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. What we'll do then, chaps, we'll move on to components. Um, again, the question posed, which I'll bring to the group, is what sort of rules and conventions should we follow for components? Um, opinionated, configurable, design systems, design tokens, flows yours, chaps. Um, Philip, when you start us. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I'll tell you that's uh, one of the main things that probably, um, yeah, that we do, uh, it's actually the design system. Um, that is actually just a convention that you put into place of what is a component. Um, and that is also correlated with design tokens. Um, design tokens, something that uh, uh, defines, this is an identifier that defines um, your component, like the name of it. Uh, for instance, let's just say it could be that, um, imagine that you have a um, list item that is like uh, two two rows uh, and uh, two rows of, of text, whatever. Uh, you could call it, uh, I don't know, list uh, two rows or something, but that's uh, very uh, close to the implementation. So what you do, it's you play a design token there and say that it's like your list element one. And whenever that component changes um, in the design, you do the modifications, but you still uh, don't change anything in your code because it's the same it's the same representation uh, for the global thing. Um, so yeah, uh, having uh, that kind of structure allows you to be way more flexible. Um, at least that's what I learned so far. Uh, and of course, you can use the composition to build the more complex components, right? You can start by uh, having a component that is just a text and a style. That could be a component, right? Uh, then you can use that one to be part of uh, your list item, like I described first. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree that if you're starting an app, you need to make something like this design system because I've worked on like the the app that I'm currently work on working on. When I got into the app, there wasn't a design system; it was in progress. But especially if you're working in a company with designers, like designers want a design system too. Even if they don't know that they want one, they definitely do want one because. Like you said, if you can extract things into tokens like this, then you change it in one place and suddenly your whole app is updated, which is very valuable. And it, I, I really like what you said about 
use composition like it's called compose like that's the whole that's the whole purpose of it so use composition like have small parts that are components and then use them to build bigger and bigger parts and then you reach a point where your components start to being a screen and then your the philosophy changes but uh, that that kind of goes into what what was mentioned like opinionated versus configurable i think you're like the lower you go the more opinionated your components have to be which means the the less parameters you give them so like they should be determining the style obviously in compose you usually have a modifier that you pass in but then at your at the lowest level composable you should you should be modifying this modifier like you set text styles and you set colors and stuff um i think like my best insight from that is when we started using uh compose so i remember i took a feature which was rewrite this screen uh and i started doing that and another developer he he started working on the the draft for the design system that the designers had been creating like oh we are go we're moving towards this design system these are all the components of figma everything is great uh, so he started working on that in a very generic way and saying, okay, well, this is going to be the button. I th- uh, yeah, I think the design system was called Casper. So let's use it. So Casper button, uh, which is great as well because, okay, the Casper button changed. It's now square and it's uh, full size, like, et cetera. It's really good. It's just under the signature uh, of Casper button. Uh, but then he also looked into like, okay, well, sometimes it's just the like wrap around the text and sometimes it's full width so he created the full width button and the just wrap around button and that's extremely opinionated where you only send in a text and that's it um and that was because when you're new to compose so like that's that's what we got from it we got kind of afraid of the modifier the modifier seemed very intense and very overwhelming so uh just having to write a modifier on every single thing seemed like something you you should eliminate so we tried to say oh let's make a self-contained full width button okay we can put that in it's going to be perfect but when we got used it's like um yeah but we are probably going to send in some modifier anyway and just adding to the modifier chain say full width it's very natural and it's very integral to compose so we did some backpedaling there and structured it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, the Casper button, you, but now we have different colors instead. Or we, we even had a middle stage, I think, where, no, we, yeah, we did that, but we also had uh, an introduction of the, like a big normal size button and a small button. So, okay, we made a small enum for small and big, and you can send that in. You can send in some colors. So you're always going to get some more configura- configurability, uh, especially when, the designers, they start working on, on these generic, like, here's a button. This is the button you're going to be using on every screen, except this screen, because it needs to be a little smaller and they need to be side by side. Uh, that's going to happen for very good reasons. I'm not saying that they should be more proactive. I'm saying that's life. That's the design life. Um, but it's also one of the things where you can see that coming as a developer. Like, yeah, maybe a button, well, I mean, you should pre pre-design things but just know that things will change uh so wrapping it with this umbrella of yes this is a casper button let's see how it evolves yeah um i kind of agree with you and not at the same time um because <laughs> yeah it's good to have uh, flexibility and whatnot but it's also very good to actually have uh, um 
So a bit to uh, since uh, composers uh, pretty much you can compose everything, right? Uh, again, like it is in May. Um, uh, the flexibility that you have could actually cause you a problem. That it's like people instead of trying to use the reuse the solution that uh, they already have, and especially in the design team, and it's not because uh, of bad design or whatnot. No, it's something that. Uh, um, has to do with, for instance, new members coming in and not being, uh, not being aware of uh, uh, what are the rules for the project or not. Um, if um, if you don't have um, some kind of uh, of constraints there, uh, then your design might change completely abruptly, and uh, your application might be um, might appear to be in one view, uh, one application and on the next, a completely different one. And that's why I believe that having some kind of uh, hard rules for the components uh, actually benefits you in the long run. Um, and like you said, you can have, uh, you can send, for instance, um, um, yeah, you can have uh, an enum that defines your style or not. Uh, but the base rules, for instance, for a button, like you were saying, they should be the same uh, all yeah. the time. Uh, it has to be a very strong, um, a very strong um, reason in order for you to go and to change. And then that has to be curated both by the design team and by the developer team uh, to know exactly what is the effort and if it is the real need or not. Yeah, I, th I think uh, I'm trying to come up with an example of where you're definitely right. So let's let's say you have this. Uh, button and you want to uh, receive a modifier as your first parameter as you usually do and the main reason being uh, you might want to have some side padding and you want it to be either full width or not but and that's that's the that's a standard and it's perfectly good but you could also say hey I'm, I want to be able to receive the outer mod I, I've never done this I just thought of it on fly but the outer modifier but I also I'm going to allow you to pass in an inner modifier, and this one I'm going to apply after I've set the background on the button, so that you mm -hmm. can modify the padding. That's probably a really bad idea because the padding is part of the design system. The the button looks like a button because of those those paddings that you had in place, and then you have the on click and you have like all those important modifiers. Yeah, you shouldn't send those in. You should you, like if you have a button, you shouldn't send in a modifier with on click. You should have applied that on the click and uh, clipped the shadow and backgrounds and all of those things, and just expose the click event, uh, those kind of things. So, yes, you shouldn't be saying here's here's a shell, send in the implementation. Uh, okay. Just the here here's the here's a good uh, here's a good object for you to do some touches to. Can I say what I usually do to find like kind of this middle ground between configurable and opinionated? Like I usually, I when I was learning Compose, I was going into the material components a lot to figure out how they were doing things because everything is a, a surface and a box and a row. Like everything is made up of the base components anyway. And I noticed they used a lot of function overloading. Like they would have the multiple definitions for the same function. So that's what I do. Like I'll either do, depending on how much of the component needs to change, like I'll do EDOMs for big and small or EDOMs for primary and secondary. So pass in an EDOM for that. 
but then for for some things like i have i have something in my app called the complex button which has three completely different configurations so like i've i i will make different overloads so i'll make one overload that's super configurable and i'll start by making that an internal function to the design system and then so so you you have to use the opinionated ones but then in the future if something happens and the designer wants something different you have that function there and you can make it public but then that forces you to like have the conversation does like this isn't really how our design system works are we sure we want to do this but then you've you've got the function there that's already got like just start content and content like slotting it's got different slots but that's not the one you're usually accessing but it's it's there if you need to it's it's very uh like what's the dot all the i's check all the t's it's very careful like almost a bit hoarding hoarding uh behavior but uh, as soon as you uh explained it i was kind of leaning into it it's like I, I might like that uh because you do create this internal contract of this is exactly everything i can do and then you expose the but this is what i allow you to use this is what you should do you this can, you can yes. do all of this but if you really need to like make sure it's very intentional yeah and and, and like you said as well the compose library that we consume uh it's so frustrating when you go into those functions and you look at them it's like oh i want to do this thing that's an internal function that is only available to uh the compose library uh best instance of something i just copy pasted and stole is the resources function so that you can have access to resources in compose in, yeah. in the exact same way, way as, as they do in that library uh, but it's really good to just have that under the hood uh, blueprint full definition. That's that's interesting. Yeah, because it's it, it gets into kind of we're app developers, but then when we talk about things like this, it's almost like we're designing an API to be consumed because you are your API is just made out of views instead of data. Yeah, I think there's a, another benefit to that as well, and I think it's like I'm just considering. Uh, especially if you're working with junior developers or people that are new to Compose, that if you tell them this is the format how we create components, you force them to consider the different aspects and, and different parameters and components, and you, they need to be able to uh, justify uh, like parameter to, comp to component for every single thing inside that contract, and I think that actually makes them do that extra round of thinking have i gotten everything did did, did i did i add uh, this parameter for add changing the shape oh no i didn't do that but that, that you create a checkbox uh not a checkbox a checklist of things that i need to do before i'm done with this component so that's another aspect you get i think yeah also you get uh especially if you're if you're using the internal uh the internal api which is a great idea yes um, what you get, it's also, you get the discoverability, right? Some people, instead of just creating a component and creating everything from scratch, uh, what they will do first is see if the base component's already there or not, if they can build upon it, or if they actually have to build something from scratch. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before, before we get off of components, can I ask you guys one question too? Like, 
have have you tried to make responsive components yet like with windows size class or anything like for for tablets or for or for landscape mode like because that's something that when we had xml we had the different layout files i'm just wondering like what what are you doing now yeah. haven't been there no uh and i'm i'm just judging judging by the sound of your voice like, oh this is an interesting topic i want to know why he's asking um no i haven't uh, done personally but uh, my company actually has um so i've been kind of involved just helping out and reviewing the call um and yeah it's uh it's i would say that it's uh a little bit different with that you have to think about, right? Because then you were th thinking about dimensions and uh, how does your component your component changes when it reaches a certain dimension or not? Um, changes a little bit. It's another set of challenges, I would say so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's harder in Compose because it was also very hard before Compose too. But like I have, and in my current app, I'm not going. Or my main app, I'm not going crazy. I just have some if some components have an if local configuration dot current equals portrait dot dot orientation equals portrait, and I just basically have an if statement that puts portrait into composition or landscape into composition. But then, like window size class came in, and that requires an activity. So like what I've done, I just have one activity, and I just made a composition local for it so I can access the Windows Sites class inside, but then that doesn't work inside of previews, so then I have had to do... Like, I've done a lot of things that I regret. That like, I, I feel like I should not be doing all of this work, but I feel like so that's... I guess we'll get there later. So the, the tools aren't perfect just yet for, for certain edge cases like these. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue, but I just want to add one thing uh, for that because it's interesting as soon as you mentioned something and I especially since I have a camera I catch myself drifting off into the JD from scrubs it's like yes how would I implement that and I can just I just saw myself okay so I can make a responsive box responsive column and it can pass in content padding values or breakpoint in yeah okay I'm not doing that I don't have a, I don't have a need for that right now but it's uh, it's definitely interesting um uh, something we, that we haven't talked uh, about at all as well, but because this is Android right now, but they are, there is also Compose for web and Compose for uh, desktop, and I suppose those ha are very like heavily reliant on the scalability of Windows, etc. Yeah, yeah, but I think that uh, they are uh, very different under the. They are yes, unfortunately, they are radically different. Uh, I I weep every day. Uh, because Jetpack is amazing. But uh, Jason, you did mention shortcomings. And when we talked about that, it felt like you uh, and Philip had experienced a lot more shortcomings. I've ran into, oh, uh, bottom sheet is not really there yet. And some of those slightly like major components and maybe some component is defaulting to fill max width, but I really don't want it to it's just minor inconveniences. It sounded like you had more experience. Yeah, what I found out was uh, mainly in uh, animations and lists. Uh, that's where I actually have uh, the most problematic things. Um, it's the animation of uh, adding and removing items uh, to the list 
that uh, yeah simply doesn't work uh so we did have to come up with uh, our own animations um yeah that was the main thing there uh, what about you jason yeah for like list scroll bars are also missing but nobody really cares about those until someone mentions it and makes a big deal out of it but the the, the biggest thing that's just straight up missing that that I've read into is with with com- composed navi- navigation animations we have that through accompanist but was it's it's probably going to be the API is probably going to look like that once it becomes stable because accompanist is just like super alpha compose libraries right but there's the thing that bugs me is you cannot nest navigation like nav hosts like if you nest nav hosts you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and you're going to have crashes so like we're, we're used to having a a toolbar at the top of the screen and then the content navigates while the toolbar stays there that's not really a thing you can do anymore unless you only have one layer of app. Like if you have one toolbar, you can share that toolbar, but the, you can't make another like a modal screen come up and have another toolbar because that modal screen needs to be nested inside of some other nav host. And then you've got view model stores, which which hold. And then the way those work with the scaffolds, if you if you go back too fast or if you have animations disabled, it will just crash because the view model stored stays alive a little bit longer than the navigation animation does. So then you because a navigation animation, it's like three or four compositions because you have to start end and start and end the new screen. So when you're animating, you're having a whole bunch of different compositions. So it's just like there the navigation animations are the thing that is is difficult in compose right now and then shared element transitions are also not there which is kind of interesting to me because that was one of the like main material things with material like that was one of the main cool points and then turns out it's just really hard to do when everything is a state when you're not supposed to be sharing things between screens like that it's difficult to figure out yeah the the shared transition especially uh i I mean, I've used it a couple of times, and it's cool when you use it. It's not that necessary, but I know that I've used it as an argument multiple times when people are asking or considering, like, hey, should we look into React Native or Flutter or this? Uh, yeah, but, you know, you can't do shared transitions then. You, you don't get that Android magic. Well, you don't get that Android magic right now with Compose either, and then that is super, super native. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that you mentioned very briefly, Accompanist, it, which is very interesting because that is a third-party library providing you with solutions. Yeah, third-party from the same provider. Uh, but it's providing you with the solutions that are missing. Um, and I know especially like bottom sheet uh, was one of those things that it got introduced. It's part of material two and three. It's really important for designers to have that. And it's just solved in such a clunky way. It's like, oh, I... I I don't remember which one is which now, but I know in my app right now I have one bottom sheet, which is just a modal bottom sheet, and then you can have a bottom sheet that is part of the design and the navigation for Compose. Uh, but it's not as good as saying here's a composable because it doesn't transfer the theme, so I have to have a new theme in place. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, materi- the Material 2 bottom sheet, I think they have, have recognized that this was a mistake because it's yeah. like completely different in Material 3 and in Material 3 they made it like it, 
a dialogue and it uses pop-up stuff. So you yeah. can use it like it's a composable instead of needing to wrap your entire app in a bottom sheet. That's yeah. so weird. Uh, definitely. And uh, I, I did print out the entire accompanist uh, register here. It's like, um, yeah, so web. If you want to have a web view, that is not part of the Compose. You need a accompanist for that. Uh, and swipe to refresh. Seems like that's, pretty, that's there that's now. Yeah, it's there. It says deprecated. True. I'm, I'm trying to keep a conversation while reading. But there are interesting uh, things for sure. Uh, view pagers were there for a long time. Like, uh, you, like what we said, quote unquote, third party. Like it's they. They've even said like it's Google people working on this. It's in the Google repo. Like so. Yeah. It's just their playground before they want to solidify an API. But things like Flowrow is now back in Compose. It started in Compose, then it got taken out and put Acompanist, and now it's back. So, yeah, the view pagers from Acompanist look exactly like view pagers once they made it into Foundation. So, yeah, uh, I think. One thing I'm really uh, looking forward to is the system UI controller just being part of Compose. Yeah, I forgot that that's still the company stuff. Not yet. I, that's weird. You can't even change your system bars without. No, which is six percent of your application is not supported. Just just hangs there in the top and bottom. Right, chaps. What we'll do then? We'll move forwards for previews and tooling. Um, what we'll do, we'll talk about what the tips and tricks for working with previews. Jason, can you kick us off, please? Yeah, so one of my favorite things that I've done is they, they let you make uh, a pre your custom preview parameter. So you can have one, one not parameter, sorry, annotation, a preview annotation. So you can have one annotation that actually lumps together a bunch of different configurations. So like in, in my apps, I have an annotation that I just call previews. Like very creative, I know, but it has a like a, a portrait, a landscape, and then it has one with 200% font size to just force us to think about that since everything breaks when the font scales. So like on no matter what, every component, every screen we have a preview of, we see the three main configurations and you can extend that more. Like when I had my window size class, I had one, one screen that would just make 24 different previews which i'm glad i don't have an intel mac anymore because it would like catch fire with these electric prices i can't afford to have 24 previews with an intel mac so it was fine but that's that's overkill and like i said i kind of regret that i feel i feel like that's i i don't i don't i don't know how i feel about that but yeah the the that leads me to like when i had 24 previews they all need to share the same data and I've got some screens that like need that same data too. Like if I've got a list and then four different screens that use that same list, what I've done, which doesn't feel right, like it, either preview parameter makes sense or like I just will make a, a val and start a list in a, a static val, which I feel like is not right, but I do it anyway. Yeah. Uh just similarly, I have started doing now that I, for the different components and screens where I noticed that, oh, I'm, I'm using the same values 
in different places, I have uh, a, v a rigorous system of one object called previews, and then the, based on feature, I have, oh, this is not home, but yeah, this is uh, the catalog. Okay, well, then so you would do previews dot catalog dot rich catalog, empty catalog, and I would have those. Uh, I just would make sure that they hide behind uh, get values so that they're not instantiated with the application uh, so that they don't affect runtime. But uh, I'm constantly experimenting and moving around uh, because it, it it's amazing that you can have the uh, ability to have the at preview and then just put the different data into your, uh, your uh, composable function. It's 50% of why Compose is amazing to work with. I think it's so cool. Uh, but when you st start to scale and you're having a lot of components that have similar data, stuff like that, yeah, then uh, then you get into this situation where you need a solution for that as well. I, I really wish there was a way for us to, like, I, I wish the preview parameter thing was a bit different because you can only have one preview parameter per yeah. preview, which which causes me like when I make preview parameters, I'll have like either pairs or triples or I'll have to make a preview data class to get all of the different part parameters I want. So I'm not entirely sure that they designed that the best way, but it like it's it's there. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, uh, it is still uh, in a very um, initial phase and I'm pretty sure that I'm to solve that. But yeah, I mean, that's the same way I solve it. It's uh, by having multiple <laughs> yeah usually meta classes or something that's like that then the state defined that yeah just uh, go around and yeah it's a little bit annoying but yeah what firstly in the future i do believe that they're going to uh, allow us to have uh, either different annotations um or and then some other kind of um, option to go around that little problem but still it's way better than the option that we had before that it was just all the app right yeah in a way i feel like it's kind of exciting that there's so many things that we just can't figure out how to do like i feel like it kind of puts the engineering back in software engineering like we have to actually figure things out instead of just do it like the documentation says we have <laughs> to figure out these interesting ways to do things which i think is kind of fun and it, it i'll be a little sad once compose becomes more mature and it becomes more like cookie cutter development. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But it's uh nope. I lost that train. And maybe maybe keep being a little bit, a bit more cookie cutter development will actually get you more more uh, flexibility to go into other areas of Android that uh, could also be explored, right? Uh, so yeah, it's a page rule. One thing that I wanted to mention, because I just found so much utility in it. So uh, my preview functions, uh, when I started working with Kotlin and uh, Kotlin Compose, uh, and I was doing my preview annotation, and then I, I, I just used my component in there, and you got the preview of something using the wrong theme, and it had no background, maybe it, like, it shone through on Android Studio's background and those things, and you read up on it and you looked into the preview annotations okay you can put in your background here and those kind of things of course you can put a background in your actual component but maybe you want to maybe you don't um but then you i started to get a bit frustrated with that thing of yeah you shouldn't put your background 
here. And I was working with a white label uh, for an application and the background would be different every single time. So what I did was that I created uh, uh, three different functions. So I did a preview box, preview column, and preview row. So all of my preview functions are just function, preview, blah, 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 equals preview box or column or row. So if I if we had our custom chips, then we could have a preview column where I displayed six chips uh, and they would be part of a column scope and I wouldn't have to create a column for that preview. It just came with that. And it made sure to have, uh, you could pass in which of the white labeling uh, colors would, would you like to use? Uh, and that also went for typography and those kind of things. And also, do you want to add padding on the sides? Do you want to add spacing in between? Just so that the preview function wouldn't be part of the development. You wouldn't be writing a column with a spaced by 16 and I want to modify or da, da, da. none of that. You could just do chip, 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 and it would look good in your preview. Uh, so those I think are really, really good. That, that's smart and I'm going to steal it actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I might have a gist somewhere. I'm tired of writing app theme, theme dot whatever column modifier equals modifier dot background color equals like. Yeah. Every, I don't know why I haven't done what you did yet. I've just been suffering every single time, <laughs> just living with it. So, yeah. my GitHub page gets much too little traffic, so I'll make a gist and send it to you. Okay, fantastic. Is this all we want to talk about, Bob? Uh, previews and tooling, or do you want to go into a little bit more detail? What are we feeling, guys? Um, I can mention that I've also done some extension functions for the modifier, so. Uh, so modifier has the then function so that you can put modifiers together. I just added a then if not null and then uh, with a predicate and stuff like that. Yeah, I have a modifier dot on condition too. So yep, mm -hmm. exactly. And then uh, also uh, an extension. No, well, just a composable function for is preview because I don't want to use the long syntax and then I have a modifier for the then if preview so they can I can change things if it's a pre in preview and uh, so that it doesn't but I know that it won't end up in the, in, in the commercial app yeah cool um, one <laughs> one thing that I have created which is just the same thing that I did with data binding and view models it's so much fun with just Kotlin to see how perverse you can push things and just with extension functions and abstractions and, and generic typing and stuff like that. So the thing that I mentioned before where I have my route and that route just calls my screen content, which is in another file, I always, always do the same thing. So I do view model by hilt uh, and then I collect the state from the view model and then I listen to the event and then I create the screen and I pass in those things. Uh, and then I just thought, I'm doing the same thing. I should be able to make a, a reified function of this, and I could. Uh, I just haven't figured out if it's a bit too much heresy involved, but I have this function just which is just screen, where I send in a view model class, and, uh, not an instantiated object, and just content and on event lambdas in. Dope go even further, instead of passing in a view model, use a view model and a context receiver. That's that's what I've done because you can combine extension functions and context receivers and just make your code completely unreadable at that level. But then when you look at like call the extension, it's really pretty. 
<laughs> I haven't I haven't looked into those things. That that would probably be the end of me. But I will. Yeah. That's there's a reason I think they they're keeping them experimental because they're way too powerful as they are right now and you can do you can do horrible things with them. But <laughs> nice. Right, chaps. Let's let's move on. And let's talk about something that's more interesting. You've been ranting and raving, saying how good Jetpack Compose is, but what are the downsides? So let's look into what the sums of downsides would compose, and also what is missing. Uh, Nick, can you take us over? Take over for us. Um, I think that we've touched a lot of on this with the companist, uh, filling in the blanks, and a lot of with the navigation stuff like that. That's the the thing that I wanted to put in, like the, my only input for this discussion, I think, is that the application that I worked with in my last assignment, and right now I'm just doing uh, proof of concept work. If you're in a stage where you have a static app, you have a presenter app, it's just going to be very straightforward. You can have really nice design, but it doesn't need to have like all the bells and whistles. There is nothing really missing. You can do all of those things. It's when you if you have uh, like a, a flashy, nice UI competitive application right now and you want to start using Compose, you should be aware that you're going to lose uh, a lot of things. Uh, and, looking, and it could be really difficult as well looking into which things will I lose if you haven't worked with Compose uh, before. That's the biggest problem because you probably won't lose too much, but you won't really know what's missing until you get way too far because none of the none of the stuff you're going to do first is going to be missing. But then you've got like maps are difficult, media is difficult. So if you've got these certain types of apps, then you you might be missing things. Yeah, and also the support for uh, previous versions of my drive drive 5.0 it's uh well fortunately for us it's also the one that we that we support uh, so but if you support lower than that then you simply cannot use compose at this right. point yeah i guess that's regional right because i don't know how sweden is but in in norway at least the demographics like the with six minimum is even really low for us like Going all the way down to marshmallow is kind of unnecessary at this point. Yeah, for us it depends because um, Sweden doesn't have a lot uh, from eight below, uh, but then you have a fraction of uh, people that, for instance, in my case, is uh, financial services that do have uh, mobiles like that. So it's a balance that you actually have to have. Um, and when you were talking about um, financial services then it's like regulation as well uh, right now we yeah we don't have hard one but apparently there are people trying to to do so and yeah that might be tricky for us and that's what we that's where i'm into and like the the official rule like there's no official rule from the government it's like it's us kind of setting the official rule and then everyone all the other apps follow us so like we're 23 minimum and we're thinking about both things, but not yet. Cause there's really, we don't get too much. There's, there's like going from four to five, like Kit Kat to lollipop. That's a huge jump, but, and then lollipop to marshmallow is pretty huge too, but marshmallow and up doesn't really matter with that stuff. It's crazy. Some of the names they come up with in tech. 
sitting thinking, oh, I'm pretty hungry now right now. I could do with some like marshmallows. I'll I'll talk about that. I think they're cowards for stopping for a while, and now they've they've got they've gotten the desserts back, like it was tiramisu and now upside down cake. But they're still not calling it that externally. I want the dessert names back. Just because they couldn't think of a cue, they gave up. Yeah, we're petitioning. Let's see what happens. But um, is there anything else we want to talk about with what's missing, or would you like to move forward? I think I'm done with with I that think, topic. I think that we've, I I don't feel good when I talk bad about compose, so we should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll swiftly move on then. Um, right. Don't mention Swift. I know, I thought someone was going to break out. No, we won't swiftly do anything. <laughs> um, right, we will progress to the next the next, next point, which is the final point, which is about migration. And so how do we make my app ready for Compose? So, Philip, can you take over for this one and start us off? Um, yeah, I think we're in the approach that as well. And it has to be with, uh, has to do with... Uh, with your architecture, pretty much um, uh, having uh, the interactional flows in your app uh, allows you to just extract uh, your current um, uh, your current presentation layer, replace it with uh, Compose um, easily, or at least kind of. Um, but of course, then uh, there is a second point that it's exactly when do you do that. Um, you can start, for instance, whenever you got a new screen, for instance, you start replacing screen by screen, and then you just go back and whenever you want to refactor something that is significant, you migrate it to Compose as well. Um, that would be my preferable approach. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah. From, from experience, that's my approach to like, just replace the, the view part first. So if you've got fragments and activities and fragment navigation everything leave all of that until last leave all that until everything is composables inside of those containers and yeah like you said as long as you're as long as you have as much of your logic as possible in the view model you're basically ready to use compose like as long as you don't have a whole bunch of logic inside of the view so if as long as you're handling states in the view model already you're you're good to go pretty much Yes, we we had the the same reasoning with just okay. Well, we have our single activity or few activities and fragments, but the fragments can creatively compose for us, and it's fine. We'll we'll do that, and it worked totally fine. I have no idea if that team has switched to compose navigation because I don't know if there's going to be any actual win for them doing that. Um, but I think that's a good uh, point, and as we mentioned before with the with the view model, yeah. Uh, unidirectional, easily consumable uh, just parts that you can put in a state. Uh, if you feel like you are in th that stage, then that's a good point for you. Uh, I made a small note of just like, you start small, but you shouldn't start too small. Like You should make a stand, especially if you don't know Compose. You need, you should try to say, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this very small widget like this to uh, text uh, text display and we're just going to make that compose because then you're going to, going to need to put that compose into a view and then maybe you're using data binding and then you're using a fragment and then you're you're creating a problem out of compose but you should instead probably say okay well this new fragment or this fragment that we have this is a simple list view or this is a simple details screen just showing like a receipt or something 
that's a perfect opportunity to to go okay this is a consumable state i'm going to make the com the components that i need just in this package i'm not going to create a design library but i'm going to try to make this thing not perfect but distinct i'm going to i'm going to find what i what approaches i like and you would you would jump like bump into these things that we found like ooh bonfire is really really scary until you worked with it for three days and then you realize oh no modifiers are amazing you like, you make them shine uh you need to really dip your head uh not just dip your toes yeah one 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 caveat to not making full components like if you already have an xml design system like if your views are already in base components like if you've already got custom buttons and everything so if you if you already have this design system I feel like it is good practice to, when you start doing Compose, start with the screen, but then make those components as you make the screen. So don't make your entire component library right away, but do it as you make the screen. So don't like, don't create tech debt as you adopt Compose, like adopt it in a way that is maintainable later. So don't just use Compose to do it. Yeah, I like that. Right, chaps. Is that everything there for migration? Yeah, I guess we just also want to say you can start using Compose if you're on if you're on the fence. You need to start because that's where Android's going. Like it's it's not turning back. It's where Google's investing everything, and it will make you love Android again. Like I haven't yep. looked up the lifecycle flowchart in well over a year at this point, which is weird. Like interesting that you mentioned that because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't as well. Uh, it's also one of the things where I. Uh, I'm one of those developers that I don't really listen to a lot of po podcasts, uh, and I haven't done so for a while. I listened to, to fragmented podcasts like a lot in 2015 and 16, and then not since. Uh, and like uh, articles, haven't read that much. But I try to look at all of the latest uh, latest alpha compose uh, versions because they are very inspiring. They, it's really fun to see, oh, they have this now, and I should I should look into those things. And that's it. And also the latest Kotlin and see how they work together. And uh, those things I do follow because Compose is such a breath of fresh air compared to uh, XML uh, and what we used to have. And I was so in love with data, data mining. And I thought, I, no, 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 old XML sucks. Uh, but data mining solves everything. Uh, then I looked at Compose for one week and I took my hobby project that I had at home and I rebuilt the entire app in a couple of days. Uh, and just doing that actually solved a couple of problems for me uh, that I had. So it's definitely ready. Just uh, run it by your team, your design person, uh, all of those things. Because if you have this, like, what did I say, like competitive polished UX UI application, you are going to lose something, some things. And that's that's a thing to consider. But just the happy like the happiness of the developers to keep Android developers on your team composes a really good selling point. Okay. Yeah, and, and attract talent as well. Yeah, I've talked about that a lot. Like I've seen the people who are grumpy and don't want to adopt Impose, like they'll they'll fight it for a couple of weeks and then you'll they'll get to this point where just the light bulb turns on and they're like, Oh, I get it. This is amazing. 
Yeah. Right, chaps. Then what we'll do, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'll take this opportunity to thank Nick, Philip, Jason. Thank you so much for taking your time out today and enjoying this podcast. I hope you've all learned something from it and taken away something that's definitely valuable. I think the listeners definitely will. Um, I think it goes to show that everyone should be doing <laughs> or get involved with Jetpack Compose and learning it and implementing it as much as possible. Otherwise, be an iOS developer, eh? But um, again, really appreciate it, chaps, and I'll catch you on the next one.